Now, go ahead and pull out your message notes. I'm excited about today. It's one of our favorite topics to talk about. It's relationships. And the goal of this series has really been that we would find, keep, and learn how to cultivate love. Um, if you missed the last couple of weeks or any of the weeks, go back. You can watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it on the podcast. Uh, it's been a series where we are challenging some of the social norms. We're challenging some old thought processes and bad habits and old mindsets that really we pick up from culture. We don't pick them up from God. We pick them up from society. Um, and so our goal is to discover what God says about how to have healthy, life-giving relationships. How many know if God is the author of relationships, he'll tell us how to have great, godly, authentic relationships. And so we want to go into what the Word of God says, and we want to get a vision. God, give me a vision for what you say I need to do and what I need to see to have a healthy, life-giving relationship. Proverbs 29, 18 says, Where there's no vision... People perish. They cast off restraint. See, it's not just about rules and restrictions and regulations because, you know, if you hear something, you could say, well, it's all about the don'ts, all about the rules and the restrictions. But restraint without revelation leads to rebellion. So it's not just restraint, just for restraint. I mean, think about this. I mean, for an example, if I say don't look at your phone, what do you want to do? If I say, don't think about elephants, whatever you do, don't think about, what are you going to think about? Elephants. Yeah, no. So it's not about just restraint. I want to replace the restraint with a vision, with a goal. That It's not about rules and regulations. If we would get a vision for what God has, then I will understand that there's a real purpose for me to live for in what God is telling me to do. And so we understand that. We want to make sure we're building the right kind of relationship. Love is not something that's just going to happen uh, unintentionally to you. You're, you're not going to find godly love that way. It's got to be intentional. Look, when you're fishing, my son loves to fish. Any fishermen in here? Okay, got, got a few. How I many know you're only going to catch fish in the pond that you're fishing in? So we understand that about fishing, but think about when you're trying to get catch that guy. Like, right, if, if I want to catch a godly guy, then I ought to go to the place where godly men are. I probably ought to serve my guts out. I ought to go every week. I ought to give my life to serving and loving and living for God. And guess what? When I'm in that journey and in that process, guess what? I'll find the guy that God wants me to find. Look, don't fish in a sewer expecting something special. You're just simply going to get a rat. Don't go dancing in the club, quoting John 3, 16, baby. Missionary day. No, no, no. Don't go twerk for Jesus. Jesus. No, no, no. <laughs> go where godly men are at. See, you wonder why you have problems in your relationship, but you're fishing in the wrong pond expecting something different we got to go where these godly men are found. And so we got to have a clear vision for the future. we got to have a vision for what we want and understand that healthy marriages, they do not just happen. you got to prepare to have a healthy marriage. You've got to, then once you have it, you got to do what it takes to keep it. That's why the marriage conference this weekend, look, I promise you as a church, we're not looking for something else to do. 
Like, like we decided a long time ago we were going to create environments where people could come who were hungry, who wanted to learn more and be better and have these environments where they could say, God, what does it mean to have a healthy marriage? Look, this conference this weekend is not just for those who are in crisis mode. And I recognize There'll be many people there that you may be in a crisis mode, and that's awesome. You're in the right place. But I want you to understand it's about being proactive instead of reactive. If your marriage is great, you still need to come. That place needs to be packed with people that say, I'm working on building the vision for the marriage that God wants us to have. And then at the end of it, look, we're going to do a vow renewal. It's going to be amazing. And we're excited. Why? Because we want to not only get the right marriage, we want to keep the right marriage. And I've understood and learned that a lot of times in relationships, the problem, it really has to do with our perspective. Most people, even Christians, they don't really have a biblical worldview. They have a secular worldview. They don't really understand what God's perspective is on the topic of relationships. And the challenge today, even if you go to church, is God's perspective is a little bit controversial. Like, God, I don't even know if I agree. Well, I, I, I can understand. I can empathize. There are things that I read in the Bible that I don't understand. But thank God I serve a God who is wiser than me, that is smarter than me. If I understood everything, he wouldn't be much of a God at all. And the challenge many times, and listen to me, we want to shape God in our image instead of letting God shape us in his image. And that's what this is all about. God, reshape me, refashion me, reform me, and allow me to see it from your perspective. And so I always ask myself the question, and I ask often too, because, you know, we, we're, our church is growing, and, you know, we're a Bible-based, Bible-believing church, but do I want to be God's messenger, or do I want to be God's editor? And so let's dive into the Word. Let's see what God says. In the New Testament, I, in, in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 23, really is one of the most hotly contested and debated sections in Scripture in the entire New Testament. And as I start, you'll see why. Very first of 22, it says, Wives, submit yourselves. Some of the way like, oh, today was not the day to come to church. <laughs> I thought I wasn't feeling good, Pastor. Just, just let me get through the whole message, okay? There's going to be both sides to this. Come on, somebody. Equal opportunity. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. It doesn't stop there, men. Listen, don't just quote that and not keep reading. Let's just get the whole counsel of Scripture. It says, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. Amen. Amen. His body, of which he is the Savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also, wives, you should submit to your husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives. Thank you. I thought I'd get at least one good amen right there. <laughs> Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for us. So what do we say? Jesus was the example for men to love their wives. It says, look, in the same way, husbands, you ought to love your wives. We're skipping down to verse 28. Your own wives, just as you do your own bodies, for he who loves his wife loves himself. And then verse 31 says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united to his wife, so the two become one flesh. If you missed last weekend, I want to encourage you to go back and watch it. Probably one of the most powerful illustrations of two people becoming one. And we talked about the power of joining together. What God brings together, let no one separate. Then verse 32, it says, each one of us 
must love his wives, husbands, as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. So really, when you read the passage, sometimes you can get it skewed because you read it through the filter of your brokenness. Well, I ain't submitting, and I don't, you know, it's like, but, but well, the, the real thought here, that, that's not the issue. The thought is love, because if love is the foundation, everything else works itself out. He says it more than six times. And really, we see Jesus is the great example for us to love and submit and to respect one another in our lives and in our relationship as husbands and wives. And, and what does it mean for a wife to submit and respect like Jesus, right? I can imagine someone saying, well, you know, how should I interpret this if I'm a woman? Look, it doesn't mean that men are smarter and more valuable than you. Can I get an amen? I ain't get no amen. On the contrary, look, women, I believe, they're smarter than men. And look, I, I, you know, so think about this. At the beginning of your marriage relationship, when you were dating, who's actually in control? I had one man said, man, man, man. I, well, listen, look, look, it's an illusion that the man is in control. Look, that man ain't in control. You see, you, they want you to think you're in control until you get it's an act, right? I mean, how many, you got that girl, she's super indecisive. Hey, baby, where do you want to go? Where do you want to go eat? Oh, it don't matter. You're like, cool, baby. We're going to Taco Bell. Boom. Mickey D's. Boom. Hey, baby, what do you want me to wear? Oh, whatever you're comfortable in. So you got your flip-flops, your shorts, your tank top. Look, it's all good while you're dating. Come on. Well, what movie you want to go watch? Oh, I just want to be with you. Okay, cool, we're going to watch Transformers and Die House 37. I mean, like, like we're going, and, and it's all good. And so there's this illusion. You're like, man, feels good to be a man. That's what I'm talking about. She loves me. And then you get married. And there starts the demise of your control, man. Two lives becoming one. And you know what it's like? Like we got the big U-Haul. Well, it wasn't much of a U-Haul, but I got stuff and I put all my stuff in it. She got her stuff. And you, you, you remember what it was like, man? you just take you back to the day. I'm going to help you understand how undercover she was. So here you are. You're bringing your life together. And you're thinking, look, she's got furniture. She's got decor. She's got all of her stuff. But I got furniture. I got decor. I got things that I like as well. And we bring it together. She lets you bring it into the house. Yeah. That's the illusion. So I brought it in. Boom. She puts a picture up. It's amazing. It's awesome. It's her picture. She puts her couch there. Awesome. Amazing. It's her couch. But her couch ain't as comfortable as my couch nor my chair. And so we get there and it's like, hey, baby, what about this picture? This is a picture I had since I was seven years old. It's, it's awesome. Like, it's, I love it. Don't you love it? She's like, ah, well... Why don't we just wait? Like, let's just, babe, let's get the whole picture of what this house is going to look like. So you're like, cool, no problem. Well, you walk out of the living room, it's all her stuff. Go into the bedroom, same thing. You try to add a lamp. Baby, I love this lamp. I've had it since I was eight years old. Poppy gave it to me, and it's so special. And Oh, it's awesome. I'm going to put it on my side because I thought I had a side. <laughs> nah, you ain't got no side. She says, well, baby, why don't we just wait? Well, you think it's cool. It's all good. I got a spare bedroom. Like, ain't nobody going to be in a spare bedroom. Ain't nobody even coming to stay with us. We're newlyweds. They'd be crazy to come up in here. So we go in there, and you try to put your stuff up. And lo and behold, your stuff goes in three 
special places. The garage. A box under the bed. Or the trash. That's where, oh, come on, I need you to know women are smarter than men. Come on, don't kid yourself. I'm just saying. Just, I'm still bitter. Still bitter. She's preaching next week, so I got to watch it. We got to know this. Both men and women were made equally in the image and the likeness of God. Both men and women. Look, men and women, they have equal dignity, equal value. Has nothing to do with IQ, it's simply the fact that we complement each other. In fact, complementarian theology is this. It's, it's really, here's a picture of it. I got two hands, but I'm right-handed, so I'm dominant with my right hand. My right hand can do things that my left hand can't do, but I got a left hand. And my left hand can do things that my right hand can't do. And then together, when they work together, they can do things that they couldn't do by themselves. That's basic complementarian theology. It's the same thing with the man. Look, you're the husband. You're the leader of that house. But your wife is smart. She's intelligent. She's a gift. She's creative. She's got just as much to bring to this relationship as you do. So you can do some things that she can't, and she can do some things that you can't. And together, we can do a whole lot of things that we couldn't do by ourselves. Both have equal value and should be qualified as equal together. That's God's design for marriage. It's not for one person to push the other person down and to make them bend to their whims and their wishes. We're better together. Second thing is submissions for husbands and wives. Look, I just need you to know that when the Bible's talking in this context about submission, it comes with covenant. He's talking about a marriage relationship. I need all the ladies to hear this as well as all the men. All women do not submit to all men. I, I got one amen. I know some stupid guys, come on somebody, that I would never let my daughter or my wife submit to in an authority. And someone said, yeah, pastor, well, you don't know who I married. Well, but you married him. At the end of the day, look, we're, we're not talking about gender issues right here. We're talking about marriage issues. Let's don't get it all confused. There are people, there's some young guys I would never have my daughter submit to. When we look to that and say it's all men and all women, it leads to horrific abuse and degradation of women. So get the context. It's husbands and wives. Look, women are amazing. They think their own thoughts. They have their own feelings. They express them in different ways. And men, if you don't know that, come on, somebody. I got a wife, and she thinks a little bit, she thinks a lot differently than me. She feels a lot differently to me. And we've got to create a safe place where your wife can think those thoughts, she can feel those feelings, and she can have what she needs on the inside to express herself in the relationship. And, and that's a good place to go all in, baby. Go all in. Or Different perspectives are great. We need to make sure we validate that different perspective. And sometimes what I've seen in relationship is this kind of causes friction. We're like, oh, it's, it's friction that I'm experiencing. Look, we need to know that the marriage is a fire of life. Marriage. It's a fire of life. Now, in this series, I wanted to study a little bit differently than I have from the past. You know, we've talked about relationships. I was going back. It's actually been four times in the last six years. And in my study, I found something that was very interesting. 
that really marriage is considered the fire of life. Let me explain it to you. When you go back and you study uh, Adam and Eve's names, their names are derived from the root Hebrew character E-S-H, which means fire. So imagine the picture that as God established the root of their names, he embeds in the picture fire. I mean, so that's a little bit different than what we really would imagine with fire. Now, I know some of you think, well, my love is like fire. And that's awesome. It's great. But about a year after the honeymoon, how many know that fire begins to change to a scorching fire? You know, it's, it could be a little bit different. Why? Because you've had enough time to rub each other wrong. You've had enough time to see differences that are not what you thought. Because that veil, that illusion has now come off. And you're seeing them for who they really are. And here's what I've realized. Marriage was never intended to make you happy. See, if you go through culture, culture says, well, I marry you because you're going to make me happy. No, no. When we get the word picture of what God's saying is marriage is called to refine you. Like you're called to marry that person because that's the right person to make you better. I want you to be better. I don't need you to be comfortable. When they rub you wrong, what it is is it's your dysfunction that's coming to the surface. And the fire of that marriage allows it to be purified. Isn't that powerful? Oh, well, you're calling me dysfunctional. Yeah. Yeah, you're dysfunctional. I'm dysfunctional. You're dysfunctional. Why? Because we're not perfect yet. You haven't crossed over into eternity. And so what God does is he allows that dysfunction to rise to the top. And if you will allow it, see, if you have a picture that my husband is to make me happy, you will miss it. Your whole life will be miserable. You will put a demand on someone that there was never intended to be a demand on. But when you look at that man and say, he done did it again. And you recognize that's the fire of God. You can say, okay, God, I know how I'm feeling, but I recognize I feel that because you're bringing dysfunction up. So, God, allow that fire to cause me to be purified. I want to be whole. I want to be healthy. I want to be the man or the woman you've called me to be. <laughs> Marriage is the fire of life. And you're not always going to agree. You're not always going to. Uh, and so when your wife tries to make you better, men, receive it. Like, and I know it's hard. Come on, it's like, why are you being so critical? She's like, I'm not being critical. I'm just trying to tell you. Okay, well, why are you always trying to tell me? I'll be in a relationship. I mean, I'll be in a, in a conversation, right? And I'm talking. I'm just being me. Just, Jim, my walls are down talking. We'll walk out of there. She got a smile on her face. And I said, hey, that was pretty good. She's like, well. Now she's learned, do you really want me to tell you? I'm like, no, no, I don't want you to tell me. Just tell me it was good, and then tell me when, when it's a better time. And she'll tell me, she'll say, well, I think you were a little too direct. I just, you kind of went in there. I don't think they actually saw your heart. You know, you just kind of said, I said, well, I just, what, what do you mean? I was just telling, she said, I know, I know. I know your heart, but the problem is I don't think they know your heart. So, honey, maybe you could circle back around and talk to them and let them see your heart. I'm like, let them see your heart. You go talk to them. I said what I wanted to say. It's the fire of marriage. It's the fire of marriage. What's God doing? He's allowing that person, listen, listen, who has a covenant with me, to make me better. And that's where, I've, I've realized, look, Phyllis and I got in a little tiff last week. And I always laugh because it's always whenever we do the relationship series. She's, she's speaking next week, so I don't know what she's going to say about me. 
it's all game on from there. But, but at the end of the day, I recognize what I'm learning is that God, when, when there are these rubs, it's because you love me. You don't want me to walk through life dysfunctional. You want me to be healed. And here's the cool thing. She loves me too. And she wants me to be the best person that God has called me to be. And she's going to do everything she can. And so I know it's painful, but recognize marriage is the fire of life. Look, the fourth thing is wife sets the pattern for others to respect her husband. Understand, women, that when you publicly disrespect your husband, it encourages other people to disrespect them as well. Mom, if you disrespect dad in front of the kids, don't be surprised when those kids disrespect him too. Wife, when you disrespect your husband in front of his co-workers, don't be surprised when they disrespect him as well. And now, I'm not saying you can't disagree. I'm not saying you have to think the way he thinks or agree with every decision he's made. But can we do it in a way that's respectful and private? Can we do it in a way that's not in front of others? And you have to learn and understand, being disrespectful in public is a lose-lose battle for your husband. Someone said, well, I don't understand. I'm just trying to tell him how it is. Okay, that's awesome. That's great. But it's really positioning your husband to fail. It's putting him in a lose-lose position because if he lashes back out, he's mean. Well, he's, good Lord, I can't believe you. Why is he so defensive? He's so, woo. If he doesn't lash out, he's weak. Now you've married a weak man. So it's a lose-lose battle. And so women, what you're called to be is a helpmate not a critic. Now, if you want to help him, do it in a way that builds him up because when you build your husband up, you build yourself up. When you protect your husband, you protect your family. When you treat them the way God's called you to treat them, the world will treat them that way as well. We're all familiar with the Proverbs 31 woman. You know, she's noble, she's kind, she's strong. Her husband and children, they rise up and they call her blessed. But the problem is some of you stopped before you got to Proverbs 31 and you camped out at Proverbs 27, 15. A quarrelsome wife, well, is like the dripping of a leafy, leaky roof in a rainstorm. Well, that ain't me, Pastor. Drip, drip. <laughs> well, there's some men... They're more afraid of their wife than they are of God. Some men, they will do what their wife said instead of what God is telling them to do. Look, and I just got to tell you, men, listen, I, I love you and I love your wife, but you got to stop it. You're not going to be accountable to your wife on the day of judgment. You're going to stand face to face with an almighty God who said, what did you choose? Did you choose me? So you got to challenge yourself to... To stand up for what you believe is right. And I'm not saying, look, if it's always a challenge, then you're wrong. But there are moments you're going to have to do things your wife doesn't understand. But that's why God's given you the strength and the grace to stand up and do what's right. And I just want to encourage women, too. You know, if, you've got a, if there's a woman in here and you're always right and your husband's always wrong, something's not right. You can't always be right. Nobody's always right. You've got to learn to say, God, I'm not going to be critical. I'm not going to judge them because I've learned this. If I'm looking for something wrong, I can always find something wrong in a situation or decision that another person makes. And so if that's you, you might be this person, Proverbs 21.9, better to live on the corner of a roof than share a house with a coral small. So if your husband packs his bags and sits on the roof, you'll know why. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I'm not quarrelsome. Uh -huh. I'm, all right, all right, I'm sure. Fifth thing, submission means your partners, not adversaries. 
Isn't that interesting? I'm, not, I'm, a, I'm a partner, I'm not an adversary. Wives and husbands work together. And we see the best imagery of this is in the Godhead of what a healthy submission looks like. There's one God. He's the creator of the universe. He's eternally revealed in three parts, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So he's three, yet he is one. They've got distinct personality attributes, but they're without division, without any kind of separation. They have the same essence of being. And separately, look, they have their own expressions, but yet they're still divinely equal. We see this great example in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus, all God, all man, surrenders his will to the will of the Father. Not my will, but your will be done. Yet he has still got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we see equality with submission. Not a less than, not a lower class. He's respectful and submitted to the will of the Father. And that's a picture of husbands and wives. Wives are not a second-class citizen. They're not second-rate. They're equal, though they walk in submission. And it's this equality that we're looking for, husbands and wives, to function in the way that God gives us the example to function. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21, the Apostle Paul said, submit to one another. So, see, that's why I was telling you, ladies, give me a second. It's not just wives, submit to your husbands. Because I promise you I've heard that. Wife, submit. Submit. Look, all right, shut up. Shut up. I mean, at the end of the day... <laughs> To one another. To one another. What does that mean? That means, listen, I, I may have desire to say, follow me, but I ought to listen to what she has to say. I, and, and I got it, guys. Look, it ain't always easy. Like, I don't want to hear it. That's why it's a work in progress. Submission is mutual, and it takes work. Isn't that right, baby? I, she's amen. <laughs> she's going to get home. She's going to be, baby, look, let's read Ephesians 5.21 together. <laughs> Submit to one another. And then look, husbands, look at what it says in, in verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So called to love our wives. And, and when we follow the example of Jesus, what was Jesus? Jesus was a giver. He, he served. He loved. He respected. He cherished. And husbands, that's what we should do. We should serve our wives. We should love our wives. We should honor and respect and cherish them. And when we do this, we're going to see our marriage begin to blossom into the very thing that God has called it to be. And look, guys, single men, if you can't do this, it's like, whoa, that's too much. You're not ready for a wife because it doesn't get any easier. Like the mandate doesn't change. Like it's, okay, now, no, no, no. That is the mandate from God. And the challenge today is we have lots of men that act like little boys. I know in age you are what we would consider a man, but the challenge in society is you've been trained to think and act like a little boy. You've never been taught how to have a biblical worldview of women, how to treat them with honor and respect, and I just want to take a second, and I want to point out God's perspective on men, how we should treat women. Women, in God's point of view, and in our point of view, is women are a treasure, not a commodity. She said, that's right, baby, I'm a treasure. <laughs> that's right. Women are a treasure, they're not a commodity. And, and, and it doesn't matter if you're married to them, if you're dating or married to one. Don't them, come on somebody, that's somewhere else. Married to one, you're dating one, or, or any woman. They're a treasure. 
They're to be cherished. They're to be honored. They're to be loved. They're not a commodity. And culture actually teaches us something different. Culture teaches us to view women. They're presented, women, presenting women as a commodity. What's a commodity? It's something that's bought, sold, and traded. So I can buy you. I can sell you. You don't really have value. And I'll trade you in for an upgrade when I'm ready. And we, we, we kind of laugh at it. It's, it's, but when you look at the movies on Netflix, when you watch the movies on Amazon, when you go to the movie theater, when you listen to the songs on iTunes and Spotify, we objectify women. And it's not just men. Women have been taught to objectify themselves. And so we, we watch sitcoms. And when you look at the sitcom, it's just women are a commodity. It's something that we look at and oogle after. And it's, it's amazing. But we, we discard them when we're done with them. The problem is that's not God's view of women at all. God has a standard. God wants us as a church to raise the standard and say, I don't care what society does. I don't care how they view them. I don't care how they treat them. I'm going to treat women with dignity and respect. So we got to change the way we think about women. And some of the ideas that we talk about, some of you say, well, they're archaic and they're old-fashioned. And Yeah, well, they are. You say, well, you know, our society is different. It goes against the culture. I want you to know that Jesus' words, the Bible, actually went against the culture they were introduced in in the first century. That back then, Romans looked at women not just as a view of a commodity, women were a commodity. You would buy and sell women slaves. You do whatever you want with them. You could have sex with them. You could abuse them. You could literally put a woman to death and nobody would say anything. Why? Because to the Romans, they were nothing more than property. They had no value. And the women back then, they, they were in danger of infanticide, which is where they would kill baby girls because nobody wanted a girl. So if they had a girl, they'd actually put her on the side of the road and let the sun and the elements of nature kill that baby girl because she was worthless to society. And many of them would throw them into the lakes. And that's the beauty of Christianity. Christianity said, no, that's wrong. That little girl on the side of the road has value. They would go in and adopt those girls and bring them into their homes and say, no, no, we're going raise them as our own but it's in this culture where you see prostitution and the abuse of women that Jesus begins to speak and he begins to talk about the equality of women and we see one of the greatest examples and it's found in John 8 3 through 11 I'm not going to turn there but most of you would know it's where we have this woman that was caught in the very act of adultery the Pharisees and the religious they bring her to Jesus now I always had two questions two Number one, how in the world did you catch her in the act, you peeping Tom? Like, look, these are religious people. Come on, somebody. Like, what are you doing? Like, 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 I'm not spying on somebody. Like, I just, second thing is, is anybody else have this question? Where in the world is the man? Come on, somebody. Like, it, I thought it took two, and I know I got a good amen right there. It's like, why didn't they bring the man? Because the man had the right to do anything he wanted. It was the woman that would pay the penalty because there was no value. And it's into this. Jesus speaks to her and says, I forgive you. Go and sin no more. Nobody's here to condemn you. It's in this that Jesus says you have value and respect and honor. Went against society's norms, cultural norms. And I love it. Jesus just gets in the dirt. And I love that picture, too, because it just I just showed he is not scared to get dirty in our lives. He don't care. He's getting, he calls people out. I just imagine he was naming the names of their mistresses. Come on, somebody. You, you know, I mean, I have a good imagination. I just, what else is going to make those guys? Oh, oh, you knew about her? Okay, come on, somebody. Y'all stoner. 
But at the end of the day, what's he doing? He's saying, look, I'm not scared about your sin. I'm not scared about your mess-ups and your mistakes. I love men and I love women, and I came to die for both, and I have eternal life to offer to all. And it's huge. And so we see this revolution in the way that the church reaches out to women. And we saw in the first century women coming to faith, following Jesus in droves because for the first time they recognized the value that they had in life. And here's how they knew it. Because Christian men honored them. Christian men loved them. Christian men valued them and raised the value of society that then eventually society say they surely do have the worth that you've been saying. I think there's a revolution happening in the United States where godly men would step up in the church and say, I'm not going to go after the women like you do. I'm not going to treat them like a commodity. I'm not going to look at them like you. I'm going to respect them and love them the way God's called us to respect them and love them and see the value of women increase. Look, it started when he said in John 13, 34, look, he said, love one another. Love one another. Jesus saying, look, equally. As I have loved you, so, so you must love one another. By this you will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. So look, he was telling the men, I want you to love each other. Love those women. Love the men. Don't just make it one-sided. Go against culture. And that's the charge for us as men. Look, you've got to value and love women that, that, that you are in relation, the woman you're in relationship with and honor those that you have proximity to. You ought to honor and respect the women at your work, men. You ought to honor and respect the women that are at the gym, men. Come on, somebody. You ought to honor and respect the people that are out there, the women jogging. Oh, well, look, pastor, they ain't got no clothes on. Just because they haven't recognized their value and their worth doesn't give you the permission to disregard their value and worth. Well, you should have seen what they were, what they were wearing. Well, this is what I know. God loves them and turn your head the other way. Look, respect and honor, God, guys, listen, and I hate that I even have to say it. You should never catcall a girl. That, can you imagine the God of heaven sitting down here? I can't even do it. Somebody do it for me. No, no, don't do it because you'll be judged. <laughs> oh, he whistles too well. Hmm. <laughs> but can you imagine God? I mean, he don't need you to affirm his beautiful work. He made it. He don't need no affirmation from you. Nobody, these women don't need us to stare at them. We, they didn't want us to honor. Look, look, the eyes, come on, men, are up here. But, Pastor, you saw what they're wearing. No, 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 no. My job is to bring honor and dignity and worth regardless if they don't understand their value. So wherever we go, we honor and we respect. One last passage of Scripture, and I'm almost done. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Husbands, in the same way, be considerate as you live with your wives. Treat them with respect. And again, why would he have to say, if it was a, an, uh, something that was already expected, why would he have to say it, it wasn't something that was expected? It was uncommon. So respect them. And then here's where some women get a little offended, especially the feminists. It's like, as the weaker partner. Well, don't get offended at that. God created men and women different. So this is the way I'd take it from there. Listen, your husband can probably beat you in an arm wrestling contest. Come on, somebody. That's okay, because you're a lot smarter than him. No, I'm just joking. <laughs> Come on. I mean, so there's no offense there. It's just God is saying that women are different. 
Like, and, and so as such, look, I want you to take good care of them. I want you to respect and love them. And look what he says here. He says, as heirs. That would have been mind-blowing. That would have been revolutionary. Because sons inherit the inheritance. Not daughters. Back then, they didn't even have any value or worth. So you're telling me that this woman has the same right and access to the father and to the inheritance as a son? I said, absolutely. So what does that mean, Pastor? I just imagine you going on a date with a girl and God's sitting on the porch in heaven saying, okay, cleaning his gun. Come on. I'll be watching. Why? Because that's his daughter. It's his daughter. Listen, husbands, that's his daughter that we're married to. And I get it. There's been frustration. But you know what brings the fear of God back into me? That is God's daughter. And here's something that I bet you most of you have never even read before. Look at what it says next. So that. So in other words, he's saying, I want you to do all these things. That, you know, I want you to love her and be considerate with her and respect her. So that nothing will hinder your prayers. What? You mean if I don't have a proper relationship with her, that impacts my relationship with him? Yes. Some of you hadn't heard from God in years, and I wonder if it has something to do with this. God, I don't hear you. Well, of course not. Look how you treat my daughter. God, I don't hear you. Yeah, but look at how you date women that I created and loved and cherished and put a destiny inside of them. Yeah, but they're chasing me. No, 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 no. Hold up. Slow down. Slow your roll. Slow down. It's amazing how this, when you put it into perspective, God values it so much it impacts our relationship with Him. It's powerful. It's our responsibility, men, to treat women with dignity and respect. And again, you know, the, the big thing I always get come back with is, well, they dress like that. Just, they, they just don't know their worth. Society has lied to them. So when do we flip the script? When do we say, hey, look, here's your value. What's the value? I'm going to look you in the eyes. Here's the value. I'm not going to cat call you. I'm going to open the door. I'm going to look a different way. Here's, here's the value. I'm going to speak life into who you are, not what you look like. Here's the value. I'm going to treat you the way God would treat you. That's, that's. And here's the sad part about it. Uh, there was a poll in Women's Magazine, uh, and it was talking about the Titanic. Now, I found this so interesting. If you don't know what the Titanic is, I know it's getting older. Uh, there's Leonardo DiCaprio did a movie. I mean, whoop. So if you don't know that, you might not know what the Titanic It's a ship that was indestructible, went down and to an iceberg. And so the question was, if that happened today, what would the response be for those searching for a lifeboat? You know, back then it would have been women and children. You know, so it was women and children. And here's the response to the survey by women. It says the lifeboats should be filled up with half men and half women. Look, if you're an anchor bin man, I just need you to know you die. Baba, I love you. We're putting women and children in the boats because of the value that they have in our lives and that God has called us to protect them and to love them. What a tragedy to have this mentality. It's, it's equal. It ain't equal. Men, we got a great responsibility to love, protect. And it's interesting how when marriage rubs you wrong, you forget the responsibility because we're so selfish. Oh, well, she, I 
offended me. No, no, no. God's just working the edges off of you. That's your dysfunction coming up. Let God, let the fire of God in that relationship purify us. We're going to give our lives. We're going to honor. We're going to respect. Women are a treasure. And I thought I'd just leave with this picture. Phyllis, will you come up, Robert? Will you help her up for me just real quick, please? I love just visuals. It's not a big deal, but I mean, love Pastor Phyllis. Isn't she amazing? I love that we get to do this together. She's going to be speaking next weekend. You've never heard her speak. She's way better than me. So come back. It's going to be awesome. You shouldn't have clapped that, that hard. You should have. Just. <laughs> and I thought about, you know, sometimes the picture of marriage is this. And, and that wouldn't be terrible. Because this, this is a great picture of marriage. Sometimes the, the bad part is, kind of squat down just a little. The picture of marriage is like this. You know, you get down there. I'm going to do what to do. It's awesome. And so I would propose this, man. Marriage should look like this. That though we're equal, I'm fully submitted to God. And she is too, but she's ready to walk wherever God would lead us in this relationship. And that as long as I stay here, how many know as long as I'm here, it's hard to have this relationship in the wrong perspective. I can't push her around. I can't. In fact, she's got more leverage on me. She can actually, you know, push me down. And I'm in a vulnerable position. And so I would just encourage you with this. Men, look, stay on our knees. Let's say, God, help me to stay humble and fully committed to you. And women, let's just stay fully connected to our husbands. And say, I'm here to support you. I'm here to help you. I'm here to lift you up when you need it. And I'm going to ask Phyllis. I've asked her just to pray over marriages this morning, I really feel like God wants to do something special. And I do want to invite every one of you to come to the marriage conference. Uh, Facebook, you can go and sign up. It's going to be great. And Phyllis, would you just maybe bless them and just say something? As we, yes. Am I so good looking? Yes. I know. I'm like, how am I supposed to pray right now? <laughs> I said, I'm all like, yeah. So um, anyway, this, but this morning, it's funny, you know, because I didn't realize that he was going to ask me to pray. Or, and he said, I'm going to, he said, I need your help with an illustration. He didn't tell me what it was. And, uh, you know, but it was really on my heart, even as he mentioned um, just recently in the message about surrender, you know, because at the level and degree, because we're first called to intimacy with God you know, in our salvation, and at the degree and the level that we open up our hearts and that we're able to be vulnerable and we're allowing God to come in is only the degree that we're able to love and to open up our hearts to our spouse. And that takes work. That's hard. It takes a level of trust saying, God, even when this, whenever this is, this is hard, like he's saying, I'm still trusting you. And that's the reason why this can still work whenever things get hard is because it's first it's about our relationship with God first. And so, anyway, I felt like that was a great message. Father, I just pray, Lord, God, I pray over the marriages here at Anchor Bend. And, Lord, um, just marriages in general today, Lord, in the body of Christ and, and even outside, Father, those that don't know you. But, Lord, we just, we pray, I pray for a supernatural um, just release of unity, God. I pray that you would give us the ability to identify 
and process those things that are not of you and that cause discord and disunity. God, that we would see things clearly, that we would not see each other as um, enemies, but God, that we are back to back, that we are on the same page, that we are identifying the enemy and his lies versus the truth and God, what you've called us to do and be as a married couple and as individuals. And Lord, that you would just give us discernment, help us to fight and to battle together. Lord, I pray that you would just raise the level of commitment that as husbands and wives, that we would refuse to give up, not just in divorce, but God, just being able to just live together and, and not fully living with our hearts open and honoring one another and living life together and leading together and really experiencing what that synergy is like to, to fulfill the call of God on your life and fulfill that purpose together the way that you have called us to, Lord. And God, I just pray for intimacy. God, I pray against every barrier, um, anything that the world is using to taint what you have called us to in intimacy and marriage. And Lord, I just pray, Father, that you would um, help. Lord, I, I call the walls to come down, Lord, walls that have prevented intimacy from happening, true intimacy. God, I, I just declare true intimacy with you, closeness with you, Father, so that we can in turn be close and intimate with our spouses. And Father, I just pray for forgiveness. Lord, I pray for forgiveness and restoration and healing like never before, God. I pray that there is a renewed trust with you at the forefront, Lord. God, I pray for families, God, that, that marriages are the foundation and the basis of a strong family. And we need that for this next generation, God, and where, where we're headed and the things that are happening in this world. We need this next generation to be strong. And Father, for that, I call and declare strong marriages. Lord, we pray for our marriage conference. It's not a coincidence that it is called their Stronger Marriage Conference because we are better together, Lord. And I just pray for supernatural breakthrough in marriages this weekend. And uh, God, we pray for lives to be changed. We pray for unity, intimacy. And God, we just thank you for what you're doing, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, 